Welcome. You made it to the Secret Society of Success. In this not-so-secret podcast, we interview L&D changemakers about how they approach the evolving corporate environment and cultivate their own careers. From their stories, we hope you find lessons and inspirations to make yourself, your people, and your organization successful. For our second season, we polled you, our listeners, to find out what you wanted to hear about. You chose learner personas. So now we're on a mission to find out from experts the answers to your questions. Like, what is a learner persona? How do you create an effective persona? And most importantly, why are personas a strategic investment for L&D teams? In this episode, we're changing it up. We're talking buyer personas, not learner personas. To do this, we brought in Jim Krauss. He leads the Buyer Persona Institute, where him and his organization spend all day, every day, thinking about the best ways to research and communicate what a buyer persona is. In this episode, you'll hear how his team thinks about personas in complex layers and awesome tips about how to conduct more effective persona interviews. The reason we did this for this episode is we hope that by learning from experts who've been thinking about buyer personas for decades, it will give you inspiration of how you can take some of the same lessons and apply them to learner personas. Let's jump into our conversation so you can see what I'm talking about. Uh, why don't you uh, introduce yourself and share a little bit about your background? Oh, sure. So uh, Jim Krause, uh, president of Buyer Persona Institute. Um, and Buyer Persona Institute is an organization where um, our sole focus is to uh, really capture and understand the voice uh, of the buyer in most in most circumstances to really drive insights and in what we can learn about prospective buyers um, and provide those to organizations so that they can really develop highly tailored marketing and sales strategy, messaging, content that is completely aligned to their prospective buyers and, and who they're who they're selling to. Um, my background is really deep in market research. So I've worked uh, for a number of larger organizations in the tech and financial services space, um, as well on the supplier side, um, developing, uh, running custom studies for a variety of different business needs. So um, Buyer Persona Institute is actually a great fit because it allows me to use some of my market research uh, capabilities and experience and apply it in a very specific way to help organizations uh, better market, better communicate to their prospective buyers. You touched on it in the in your introduction, really you know, highlighting what the focus is for Buyer Persona Institute. Um, can you delve into that a little bit more? Yeah, sure. So really at the heart of what we do is um, buyer persona is a, is a phraseology that's pretty, uh, pretty well known, pretty common in the marketing and sales community for that matter. Um, it's almost become a mantra in the past decade uh, about personas. We view persona, buyer personas a little bit differently. Um, typically when you hear buyer personas, if you act the, ask the, um, the marketing community, a lot of people would talk about them um, as a kind of fictional representation of a particular particular role in the buying decision. So examples might be, you know, a title, a function, uh, what the education of that particular individual is, uh, their overall priorities, maybe the information sources that they use. And that information is, is useful and valuable to an extent, but we take buyer personas a, a step further. And what we do is we explore um, not fictional, but very fact-based um, profiles of an actual buying decision. 
And the reason for that is that particularly for high consideration purchases, you really need to understand much more than just the profile of your, your, your buyer as an avatar. You need to understand um, five critical things. Uh, we, we talk about these um, as the five rings of buying insights. The first one is what we call priority initiatives. Uh, and this is where we're really trying to understand um, what are the triggers that is causing a prospective buyer to have a need for a particular solution at this very moment in time, right? So this may be a challenge or an opportunity they've had for a while, but what is the thing that's triggering them right now um, so you can meet them where they are? The second thing that we look to uncover in our buyer personas is what we call success factors. You can think of these as outcomes or end benefits, right? These is all the things the buyers want to achieve as a result of making the investment. The third uh, one is a really important one that is sometimes overlooked is called perceived barriers. And what this is, is this is all the fears and concerns um, that a buyer has about just making an investment in a particular solution or making it with you. The fourth one is decision criteria. And these are all the questions that a buy you can expect a buyer to have when they are evaluating the different different alternatives they're considering. You know, you can almost look at this as the frequently asked questions portion. And then the fifth final one is what we call buyer's journey. And this is the one that is, you know, who are the different influencers involved in the decision? Uh, what are the different information sources they use and that they trust? What are the actual steps in the decision process? Um, things of that nature. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. In this season thus far, when we're learn, you know, learning about you know the idea of learner personas, one of the common themes that keeps coming up is that need to do um, really qualitative research, right? Go speak to the person who you'll be delivering some sort of uh, training to, right? Really get into those interactions, and through that, you know, as you described, kind of journalistic type interview and discussion, you could really start to round out a, a much deeper more valuable uh, persona in the L&D space. Uh, what's that conversation like? What are some of the questions that you're asking? In the context of you know, your world, obviously you guys are going to try to dry out some of those key five, five key buying insights you just right. shared. Um, but yeah. what are some of the questions? How do you facilitate that conversation? So the main thing that you know we look for, and you know, quite honestly, the interviewers that we work with that are experts in doing these type of interviews is we like to find people that just have a really curious mind and just have um, like to like to understand people and their and their story. So the only scripted question. So we we identify somebody that has made in our world a recent purchase decision um, for our client as a particular offering that they're offering. We go interview them, and the only scripted question that we ask them is the first question in the interview. We literally ask them, "Take me back to the day when you first decided that you needed X, and X would be a particular solution." Yeah. And from there, it just it it we literally go step by step in the process. So we'll ask them, you know, what what are the what's the first thing that you did, right? So that we understand, you know, what was the way that they identified even some some companies that they may want to take a look at or some alternatives they want to look at. Um, they may tell us something about that. Then we'll start to dig into literally how did they winnow down their choices. So we'll ask them, you know, at some point in the year, we may ask them, well, how many. How many companies did you look at or did you consider? And they could say, here's an example, six. And then we'll ask them, well, what happened after that? When you had the initial six, why did that initial six make your list? And then what did you do to, did you winnow those down to a subset? How did you winnow that down? And they may say, well, it was based on their, um, based on the different features that they offered. 
and we'll, we'll follow up with is, well, tell me about those features. What were the ones that were really important to you that really kind of were a, a factor, whether a company was, you know, stayed on your list or maybe you kind of eliminated from consideration. And we just get them talking, right? Because it's their story. They love telling it because it's, these are decisions that mean a lot to them, right? And these are things that they went through. They don't have to guess. That's the beauty of these. There's no guessing here. This is literally what they went through. They actually enjoy telling us their story. Sometimes we usually do the interviews for 30 or 40 minutes. Uh, we could often go longer than that just because they like telling us their story, quite honestly. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm it's sure. just the best thing I can say is it's curiosity, it's active listening, and good questioning skills that kind of get us there. Yeah, that's great. I, you know, the a concept I think of a lot when you're sharing that is is uh, one that we we talk about internally in our business a lot is just like making sure that you you know the five why concept, just making sure you know in your example about features, okay. And we we did uh, feature parity, so we looked at all the features and we said, okay, these these are the ones that are the top three. Okay, well, which features? Why were those features important, right? Like, what was the actual business reason why you cared that you had a you know, data visual on your on on the piece of software, right? There's something behind that 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 ultimately is what really drove the, yep. the why behind it. Yep. Behavior. Those are the nuggets you're looking for that you're mining yeah. for. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I'm curious. Obviously, ten interviews is a lot. Um, that's a lot of, that's a lot of data, but it's still only 10, um, you know, and it's the opinions of 10 people who just, which are really important, but who just went through that decision process. I'm curious, something that came up for a lot of the people we've spoken with thus far, uh, during the season is trying to manage whether it's your own or even the person that you're, you're gathering qualitative data from. Managing bias or managing stereotypes or or perceptions that might be unique between people. How do you guys think about that when you're you know collecting your data through interviews? Yeah, so we always tell the organizations we work with. You know, we're happy to do as many or as few interviews as you want. Um, what we have found, um, having done this for over a decade, is that we tend to find after we get to ten interviews, focus on a specific buying decision. We tend not to learn anything terribly new. Um, we, 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 we have the story um, and, and I'm a researcher at heart, so I'm a purist. Um, so that took some convincing for me, just having conducted so many of these buyer persona studies to see that. Having said that, um, I'm always in favor of doing additional research uh, in the form of quantitative survey research to validate and further segment findings. So that's something that's a very easy follow on. Um, the nice thing about it so far is when we've done a quantitative phase, when we have an organization that wants us to help them with that as well, or they've done it on their own, is that 100% of the time we have found that the elements or the factors we're, we're identifying through the initial interviews um, really uh, are really confirmed by the quantitative phase when we're interviewing many more potential buyers, right? And getting that quote unquote statistical significance, or at the very least, just more confidence in the results. So I would never, I would never discourage anybody from doing more research um, to validate it, particularly if there's some uneasiness about the results or they're even, you know, just, they don't even want to base decisions on them because they're nervous about them. Go ahead and do it. Um, but the quality of those initial interviews will be the foundation of it. Cause that's kind of what you, what you want to base the quantitative uh, survey research quote unquote on afterwards. Okay. So it sounds like 10 is a magic number. So maybe, maybe that's something that the audience could take away. Uh, 
So, yeah, in, in terms of gathering your data points, but I really like that. I think the, the idea of using the any additional quantitative data that you have to mm-hmm. balance the qualitative insights um, and even using that as a tool to be a check figure for yourself, right? To make sure that you're you're staying within guardrails and and that this persona is ultimately a, a valuable a valuable tool for you for yourself. Those five rings of buying insight probably translate really nicely to some new ways a learning and development person might be able to build out and develop a persona. Um, of those, let me ask you this question: Of those, which is the one that typically has the biggest impact for your customers or is the the most aha of the five rings that you have? There's two. There's no question it's perceived barriers and decision criteria because usually when we cover priority initiatives, which are triggers and success factors, which are outcomes that they want, more times than not, that's not new news, right? It's confirming news. Maybe we end up emphasizing certain things a little bit more prominently than other things, but it's rare that we will get through those and, and you know, the organizations we work with are like, uh, completely unexpected. Couldn't believe that, right? That's rare. But it is confirming, which is valuing. But the perceived barriers and decision criteria is so important because um, of two reasons, really. For one, perceived barriers, it's a way of casting a spotlight on fear, uh, buyer fears and concerns that probably doesn't get enough attention among marketers and salespeople, just as a mindset that their buyers do have fears and concerns and you want to be able to address them. So just putting it in that framework has value in how marketers think and sales folks right. think. Um, and then also perceived barriers and decision criteria. The reason those two are so important is because that's where the rubber meets the road, right? That's when you're really getting down into the sales funnel. You know, they're saying, okay, I've got, you know, five alternatives I'm looking at. They're all saying they can kind of get to the results that I want. Okay. I'm willing to believe them enough, but now I've got some specific questions so that I can actually believe it, right? So I really believe that they're going to be able to deliver on this. So those are the ones that are really compelling, right? Because those are where you can really, um, you know, differentiate yourself in terms of what you're saying to the market, what you're demonstrating to the market in terms of if you're doing, you know, proof of concepts or trials or things of that nature, depending on what you offer. Um, those That's where the gold really happens. Those two, those two insights. That's great. I, you know, it's it's funny that you say that, and that was going to be my guess. <laughs> um, but the the interesting overlap for me is it it actually ties back to something that I think I've heard in every discussion I've had with a learning and development professional about building personas thus far, and it's it's really that focus on the human motivation aspect of it, right. And and I think that that's ultimately what I'm hearing as uh, you know the clear takeaway there, right? Those perceived barriers or fears right, that, that your buyer has are going to be hugely important, right? And then the decision criteria, which is is really the things that is going to mobilize them and get them moving forward and actually to drive a decision. So it's interesting that your, you know, your two, you know, 1A and 1B in your, uh, in your rings of buying insight really center completely around what are the motivations uh, for the for the per- person or persons in this actual buying decision itself? Yep. Um, yeah, and, and I think that that's ultimately really important, right? At the end of the day, you know, for our audience, you know, they're trying to figure out how do I make something. You know, in your case, it's about facilitating the buying process, right? In our audience case, it's about facilitating a really effective learning process, right? And at the end of the day, I don't think you can do either thing without having a really clear understanding of uh, 
what the motivations and, and fears and, you know, mobile, mobilizing factors are for the, the person that you're engaging with. Yep, absolutely. So Jim, one other question I have for you. Um, one of the, the things that becomes most valuable uh, for the learning and development professional when building a persona is how that influences their uh, delivery. So actually how they, they meet the learner, where they are, how they actually deliver the content. Is it going to be instructor-led? Is it going to be, uh, you know, an e-learning? Is it going to be some sort of blended approach where you're going to have like a, a pre-work quiz, then you're going to have an e-learning, and then you're going to show up in a classroom and discuss the results with a with a broader audience? I'm curious how often when you guys are putting together your buyer profile, does that influence uh, how an organization actually facilitates the buying process, right? Do, do you ever see that that has uh, an impact or, or changes the way that the the buying or selling process is actually delivered for your customers after going through one of these projects? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the most direct way is the buyer's journey when we learn, learn all these different steps that they take in the process. So that's the that's the one place that we answer that question directly, right? So, you know, we may find out in a particular study that, uh, you know, uh, trials or proof of concepts um, are critical in the buying decision, right? That the ones that are, that they were heavily influenced by that when they got down to their finalists, they insisted on that. Um, so that could be something as an example that all of a sudden an organization prioritizes those motions a bit more than they have in the past, right? As an example, but we also find other things. So uh, another example would be, you know, uh, decision criteria, right? There may be a number of decision criteria and it's not something that, you know, if you find 15 to 20 things are basing decision on, that may not be a very easy thing to do in a, you know, a sales professional meeting with somebody the first time or talking through them. So they may create different types of assets that are leave behinds as an example, or as I mentioned, some do frequently asked questions on their website um, and they point them to those type of things. So it, they do come up with creative ways to try to figure out how do I give everything buyers want need in the most efficient way and also kind of thinking through stages in the process. So the other thing in the buyer's journey is we'll also understand the actual steps they took. So, you know, maybe early on in the in the buying cycle, you know, the, there's only a receptivity to certain certain amount of information or certain uh, mechanisms, whereas later when they're really digging in, there's more appetite for more considered things, things that take more time, um, more more interactive, right? It could be more interactive components where there's some back and forth. So yeah, so they they absolutely influence. I could definitely see how they would influence the learning community as well. Um, just trying to understand how they digest learnings, how they prefer to, um, things that work, things that didn't work, um, things of that nature. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really valuable, valuable piece that I think maybe even in building a, a learning and development persona that can be overlooked. Like what are the steps that this person is going to take through their career, right? Like at the end of the day, when you're building a persona, you know, in, in your case, the outcome is a decision. In their case, hopefully the outcome is this person accomplished the skill to, to get this goal, to achieve something for whatever reason that uh, they might have. And I really like using the idea and and that principle of let's understand the steps that they're going to take over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's understand the process that they're going to go through uh, because, uh, you know, hopefully it'll arm you as 
you know, in your customer's case, a seller, or in, you know, in our audience case, uh, an instructional designer to just better meet your customer where they are, right? Yeah. Meet them in the place that, they, that they're at right now. Um, you know, one quick uh, sort of, I guess, funny question I'll, I'll have for you. In my last discussion, there, there was a, a, an emphasis placed on the image associated with the, uh, the persona. How do you guys think about that? Is that important to you? Do you care? What are your thoughts there? From one standpoint, it doesn't mean all that much because, again, we're not trying to we're not trying to try create a fictional avatar. Uh, that's not what a buyer persona is to us. Our buyer persona is what we're trying to do is take all the fiction out of it, right? Or all the guessing out of it, right? So maybe it's not fiction, but or all the you know hypothesizing. We're trying to make this as fact based as we possibly can. Um, so in that way, it's kind of hard to create something that's going to be necessarily representative because we're, I mean, we're trying to represent a buying decision, not an actual person or a role. Not a human, right? Yeah, correct. So on the other hand, if it's, you know, if, you know, for, for example, we may do a study where, uh, it's a study where we're doing, you know, smaller enterprises and larger enterprises. And we do a buyer persona for each enterprise size because an organization thinks there's pretty significant differences in the buying decision. You know, the large organization, we might give that uh, a persona, a name that starts with L, <laughs> whether it's a woman or a guy or, or what have you, um, just so it's a little bit easier to remember it uh, in that way. But nothing that we would, nothing that we would do to try to relay any specific information about the persona itself. I would say that. that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like for you guys, it's a tool really to just uh, better help your customer remember and associate correct the details versus a tool to maybe bring that to life because i think from what you got from your approach it's really more about digging into the fact-based details um and it's a little bit more comprehensive so it's really about you know an association to all of your details uh and not as much about you know trying to personify them if that makes sense yeah i mean if anything we'd rather personify the buying decision rather than any type of role or person right so if it's a you know supply chain solution for example you know i would rather create something that was more imagery or um represented supply chain than i would yeah. than i would a role quite right, honestly because right, that's right. what the persona is based on right 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 so just some maybe just some sort of visual component that isn't necessarily even a human, but it, again, it just brings that association back for your customer. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, I like the idea of actually thinking about, you know, not always just making it a person, right? I think that the, at the end of the day, the visual association is just a, it's just a memory tool. So yeah. um, I, that's, a, that's a good takeaway. Jim, this has been really uh, insightful. If, if the audience is looking to learn a little bit more about you or about the Buyer Persona Institute, uh, where can they find yeah, on the uh, on the old Googles. Yeah, so um, we're buyerpersona.com um, and we're Buyer Persona Institute. You'll find um, we have a lot of uh, available free resources there. We do a masterclass workshop, which is a, a nominal fee if, you, if you're a do-it-yourselfer and you want to try to do one of these on your own. Um, we also offer buyer persona templates. There's different, um, we have a, a pendium of blogs um, just to get a little bit smarter, give different points of view about it. Um, and then the other resource I can point you to is we just started a, uh, a, a LinkedIn newsletter. We call it the buyer persona buzz, um, which, uh, which I put out. So if you look for me on LinkedIn, Jim Krause, you can either follow me or you can just uh, sign up for that newsletter. 
and we get a newsletter out every two to four weeks, um, just keeping talking about buyer personas, methodologies, best practices. Um, we try to put in some buyer insights that could be useful for you. So those are two uh, definitely resources that you could uh, look to. That's awesome. Thanks so much. And uh, I hope you have an awesome rest of your day. The Secret Society of Success is hosted by Mimeo, the better way to print. Check out our sister podcast, Talk of the Trade, for tips and tricks for sales and marketing leaders. Visit www.mimeo.com for more information.